0: Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks, and welcome back to my favorite time of the week. And I am absolutely delighted to have an old friend and colleague of of mine, Oliver Johnson. Uh, Oliver and I worked together for many years, and although in theory I was his boss, I learned so much from him. He was somewhat of a mentor to me, and we used to do time-to-think sessions with each other where we would be the thinking partner for each other and enjoyed uh, learning lots from Nancy Klein. But it was actually Oliver who really got me excited about the concept of inspiring leadership, which has become the basis of the work that I do and that my wife Lee do, uh, and also then gone on to the charity Helping Vulnerable Girls. So Oliver, fantastic having you here on the show. Welcome. Thank you very much, Jonathan. great to be here. Yeah, and um, you were bold enough to say that not only are you a coach, a facilitator and a teacher, but you're um, very comfortable with the fact that at 67, which isn't very old these these days, when we live the hundred-year life, that this is the chance for you to have a retrospective view over a very interesting life, which we're going to talk about in in part two of the session. Um, what would you like to say about someone who who's been an inspiring leader to you? Who would you choose?
1: Do you know, I was thinking about this, Jonathan, and there are lots of great leaders that I would. The pleasure to work with um, and to experience and to coach with um, but the person i'm going to pick is my grandfather now i only knew him um, because he died when i was i think maybe five or six but i'd always heard the stories that he was a great man but yet as a young child he didn't live in a big house and he didn't have a chain around his neck and he didn't have time so i always wondered what that was but my father told me a story um, in 1921 Um, He was working in an engineering company, and the company won the the contract to build two miles of new railings around um, the Ormel Park in Belfast, which is like the jewel of the crown in Belfast. He got his men together and he said to them, look, this is more important than we normally do. This is the jewel in the crown of Belfast. We are going to do an exceptional job. Um, And he said, we will do this so well that in 100 years time, the railings will still be standing perfectly straight and perfectly true. Now, my grandfather never got to see whether that came true. My father never got to see that that came true. It's now 97 years and I drove around past the railings uh, just a couple of days ago. And there they stand perfectly straight and perfectly true.
0: So I hope I get to see them standing straight in three years time. Wow, Oliver, thank you. That's that's legacy that's pride that's a sense of purpose Um, thinking about that's a a very inspiring leader for you but then inspiring leadership teams and you've done a lot of work as coach facilitator teacher with teams around the world who would you pick as one of your teams that you've seen as inspiring leadership and and what were the qualities you admired about them I, well, just last year,
1: I had the opportunity to travel around the world with Concentrix, the um, uh, the customer services organization, which has got a perfect exponential growth curve. So five years ago, it employed 5,000 people, then it moved to 15,000 then 25,000, then 125,000 and 250,000, all within five years. Um, and having the pleasure to work with them as they they led the, the initiative to create the culture for the new people joining because they just acquired a company, a huge company, and they wanted to bring them into the culture. And just watching Chris Caldwell and his team as they stayed in complete control of this process, but to do that took incredible courage and a reliance on each other. To go, none of us can do this separately. We actually have to do this together and mm. engage. Um, and the final thing was that over a six-month period, they all or most of them turned up to every event so that they would be seen to be there and doing. And they had the most incredibly busy schedules, but they were able to put that right at the top wow. of their agenda.
0: Really good. Mm. Well, thinking about your work with teams and your facilitation, you've been a very inspiring speaker, uh, and you always add humor. I I I'd love to hear a couple of your stories which make people chuckle. What what would what would be a couple of little ditties? Because humour is a great way of getting us to learn as well. So what would be your two stories?
1: I I've one about um intuitive thinking and I've I've one which is slightly darker. Uh, but the first one is um I was I was asked, I think it was about 1980, to facilitate a session in Derry or London Derry in Northern Ireland, and it was about 2020 vision, it's what's our vision for the city in 2020. So I was asked would I facilitate the session with, um, on on the political and future of the city, which if you imagine at that time was racked with the troubles and it was a very, um, you could could cut the atmosphere with a knife as these people from all the different sides were together. And I stood up and I knew 30 minutes, 30 seconds to grab this event, or I would lose it. And I had in my head, my, my, my children were very young. I have twins, and I had in my head that um, I would say something about we're not doing this just for our generation, it's for the future generations. The result of which was that I stood up, I didn't know how to do it. Um I didn't know what I was going to say, and I stood up and I said, Do you know, this isn't just for us, this is for our children. I'm very lucky, I'm the father of twins. I got one of each, a Catholic and a Protestant. and and you know those you know those tumbleweed moments and then everybody started to laugh and to this day i don't know where that came from but there's something about how our brains work when it needs to yeah Uh, the the second story is a more serious story which is um i worked uh, uh in a consultants and i was a partner and we had two senior partners one was genuinely inspirational and would just Breathe life into the place. The other was genuinely expirational the opposite, which really would suck the life out of the place. And I could never quite realize or believe how he could do it. From the car park, he didn't even have to get into the place and he could suck the life out of it. And we were having a conversation one day, and um, with the partners, and he he announced and he said, "You know, the reason I'm a senior partner is is because I'm just a natural leader, and I'm just born to be in a senior position." And I had to summon up um, all my impulse control not to say, yes, but you're crap at it. <laughs> um, and actually, there, thereby lies a mistake as well because that's what I should have said. Because yeah. I then suffered another two years of, of working in that, in that environment before I actually summoned up the courage to actually tell him what I thought and, and
0: exit appropriately. Yeah, that's marvellous. Well, look, before we finish this first part and go on to Inspiring Leadership Extra, what would be your top tip for inspiring leadership, practical thing that that people could take from you and go and and go and apply it.
1: I think you know. I think there's a, um, a difference between inspiration and charisma. Charisma is around the cult of the individual. So Elvis had it, Lauren Bacall, the film actress, had it. Um, Muhammad Ali had it, but I've never met anybody with charisma, um, which is probably good because it's around the cult of the individual. I have to be brilliant and shine in in order for you to be good. Inspiration is much more generous, and it's around, uh, it's it's this sense of going, I can't inspire you, but I can create the conditions in which you find your own inspiration. Mm. And I think that's the tip. Inspirational leaders create the conditions for others to be inspired.
0: Fabulous thank you oliver as always my pleasure i've been inspired i look forward to our next session but congratulations in the what you call the retrospective view of life and what you're thinking about doing next but lovely having you on this on this episode so thank you for your time many thanks Jonathan. hello i'm jonathan bowman perks and welcome back to inspiring leadership extra with oliver johnson and oliver who is a teacher a facilitator and a coach a great friend of mine for many years, and a man who I've learned a lot about, particularly the whole topic and practice of inspiring leadership. Oliver, we, we've had a good chat already, but I'm really interested in your life and your experiences, uh, particularly in Northern Ireland and social work and a whole variety of fascinating things you did before you even went into leadership. Do you want to talk about your upbringing, life, who inspired you? You know, over to you. Yeah, I mean, I, thanks, Jonathan, it's great to be here. Um, I, you know, I think like a lot
1: of fort- fortunate people, when I look back, the most important thing was was having a loving family. And a loving family that were courageous, that stood for something, that, you know, had a belief system and, and whatever. And I think that was a, just a wonderful way to to get a start in life. Um, later on, um, I, I became a, I was a competitive swimmer and um so I worked with what one of my um quiet heroes in my life is Bobby Madine, who was my swimming coach and is still today on the bank of the swimming pool at six o'clock in the morning teaching the next generation of kids so over 60 years he has done that every day and that's there's something about longevity and just repeating things and being true to whatever it is you believe in. Um, but I also learned from that, that, that notion that, um, of, you know, the 10,000 hours that you need to master something and all of those hours of getting to master that have stood me in good stead after that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I then, I then became uh, a social worker and I, and I do, um, most of the skills that I have today are actually skills I learned as a social worker, not as a management consultant, not as all those other things, um, because they're people skills. Um, and that was also in the time of the, the so-called troubles in Northern Ireland. And I think that was the thing where you learned pretty quickly, I was the 17 when the troubles started, that you're either going to be a victim of it, sometimes that was unavoidable. Um, just because of chance. Um, But you can either be a victim of it or you would would need to stand for something. Mm. And I think that was a big lesson to me in terms of of standing for something. One of the things I stood for was going, I have a right to travel anywhere in the city. Other people don't have the right to tell me that. So I would travel throughout the city. I would spend in Belfast anywhere. I would travel in Derry and whatever. So in a sense, I got to see northern ireland at that time in a way that very few people did because most people went it's not safe to go there it's not safe to go there and sometimes you have to go somewhere that's not
0: safe but i remember an incredible story about you going into the Divis flats to a lady Mm. you'd had to remove the child from it can you just tell that story because i just found that phenomenal funnily enough i i um i was contacted recently about that and um
1: Needed to recall the story to uh, to some solicitors who were 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 working on some stuff, but it's a long time ago. Uh, yeah, it was it was just that sense of that at that time, and I don't want to big it up, and I don't want to make it bigger than it is. But if you needed to do something as a social worker, like remove a child from a dangerous home, not only did you need to get the police involved. But you also needed to talk to the paramilitaries so that they would create the space to let the let the police in to do what they needed to do and the police couldn't go in without having an army uh, presence as well so you had this huge huge operation uh funny enough the day afterwards uh i went down to see the 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 the, the mother who was very distressed and she saw me coming and she uh, f- opened the door in Divis Flats and she shouted at the top of her voice, I've told everybody that you're an effing Protestant. Right?
0: This is now, Catholic, now explain, yeah, explain about Divis Flats to people yeah. who don't know so
1: it. It's, so it's a high-rise sort of conurbation. Uh, it's exclusively Catholic and Republican. Um, and she didn't know anything about about me and my background, but she said, she said, and I've told everybody you're a Protestant. Um, uh, she calmed down and later and said, Oliver, you know, I I know you're not a Protestant, but it was the worst thing I could think of to say. And I, I am a Protestant. You know <laughs> so it was it's just all of that was going on at the time. And yet a bit like a bit like what we're going through today, um, it becomes normal very quickly. Yeah. And you just yeah. go, Well, I'm either gonna go on to this or I'm gonna Go through it and and do what I need to do, and I think that was a great lesson for me. Um, it's not about courage; it's not about. It's just about going. Well, I have a choice: either I, I either I give in to this, or I stand up and do what I need to do.
0: Yeah, because because I mean that was so threatening to you. You know, the, mm. the the strongest Republican area. You know, the IRA were everywhere around there. Someone could mm. just take you around the back with a pistol and blow your head off. Mm. And um general john stoker who who i had on one of my earlier series john john was working undercover and and saw his colleague in the police get his head blown off in an ambush when they were both taken and he was then interrogated and beaten to a pulp for two days until he was rescued by his own platoon but that's the story in itself yeah but um you also i seem to remember were you not driving a post van around and there was some gun battle going on either side of the tenement you were in or something. What was that story? Was that? Do I remember that right?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it was, I had an old uh, post office van that, that I had painted yellow, uh, <laughs> just with a, a paintbrush, because everything got, you know, just, there's no point having a good car at that point. Um, and I was sitting on the floor, in the back of a terraced house, talking to um, a woman about her son who was being quite difficult. Um, and there was a gun battle going on outside. Now th- this is unusual, <laughs> but it was a it was a um <laughs> it was a gun battle between two factions of the IRA at that point. And um I got up I got up to leave. Uh, we waited until everything quieted down. Lived got up to leave and um and the woman said to me um, I take it you're not driving your van today and I went oh why is that she said oh, right, no, it's just that the, uh, the provisional IRA opened up uh, on the on the, on the the official IRA out of the back of a yellow post office van, just like yours. Right. Now, that's that's not a story about anything other than you can be in the wrong place at the wrong time yeah. uh, and whatever else. So that, that and I, th- I think you learn a lot from being close to things that and you would know from the army and, um, you know, and people who live in, in areas with with great poverty and whatever you get to know what it's like to be in the face of things like that and there is a bit if you go if you live as long as i live it's because of good fortune because you haven't been the one who was in the wrong place at the wrong time
0: yeah fascinating and and so from your time in social work and and you are incredibly emotionally intelligent with people reading a room intuitive i've seen i've seen you do it really ask the awkward Mm -hmm. question that no one Else wanted to ask, but they were all thinking it. How did you learn that in social work? I mean, obviously, mistake and learning from it, because you're you very relaxed about learning, okay, didn't work, or try something different. T- tell us a bit more about your learning from those days in social work and what worked and what didn't as a leader. Um, I, I did find myself at
1: one point um, in between a young person and people who were out to do him no good, uh, who would have, with, with a punishment shooting, so that they they wanted to shoot him. I don't know whether it was dead or whatever. And you do learn, I think, that you need to say what needs to be said, and you need to take a risk to say it, and you need to stand for your principles. Uh, and what I've learned is if you do that, it might be uncomfortable, but it is very seldom wrong. It's the trying to say the things that are politically um easy to say or try and not be clear are the things that actually get us all into trouble. so I think that would be a big a big lesson for me and 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 as I've gone through life i, I mean one of the things for me is is um you know working with senior teams I know you Jonathan and sometimes people would say. Do you never get nervous working with senior teams? And I, 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 always laugh to myself and go, "If you knew who I had worked with in my life, <laughs> you would realise how, how that's not a frightening or scary thing at all. It still means you want to be be a bit nervous and going in to do anything, but you know, you, everything is built on the things you've learned and experienced before."
0: Yeah, I, I think that's that's so good. And uh, what else in what else in your life has really shaped you as you've gone along and um, made you the coach facilitator and teacher you are today um i think one of
1: the biggest things is actually i haven't been a coach for 20 years and just having the privilege um to sit alongside leaders as they think they worry they break through they they go back and go I didn't do that the way it should have been done. And just to have the privilege of sitting with someone as they do that. And I have a great belief, as, as I know you have, that we're at our best as coaches when we're highly present, but leaving the space open. And just, it's, it's somebody said to me once, it should be like, uh, if you're being coached, it should be sitting like beside a still pool um, and a deep still pool. So, so, if I can, at any stage, be anything like that, it's a great place to learn from. Um, and that's been a huge influence for me because, like, in any curve of distribution, you get to see the, and experience the people who are maybe not as good as this thing, as leadership and being inspiring uh, at one end of the continuum, and then the people who are just kissed with genius at the other end, and then that big group in the middle who, if they focus on it, can learn to be inspiring, can learn to lead well, and just to be part of that. Um, with the occasional um, sharing of some um, opinion or advice, because I think that's part of it as well, is just sharing your experience. I,
0: I think so. And I'm interested in, in two areas, and I'm sure others listening would be too. One is, um, we're at the moment, on, as we record this, in the middle of a global pandemic, mm. Uh, You've been in lots of crises in your life, you know, Northern Ireland in the Troubles was a hell of a crisis and it never seemed to end. It would go on and on. I don't think people realize just the scale of this, the depression, the economic depression that we're going to go in, like worse than 1929, 35 percent drop in GDP. um, and, And it's really going to hit the helping professions i'm not talking about nursing and and doctors and, and those things but mm-hmm. but the professions where it's a choice whether they spend money on psychotherapy on coaching yeah. on leadership development on team events or virtual team events or speaking what's, what's your view on what's going on and what the impact will be in the coming months and years on our coaching profession
1: mm. i mean i it's a couple of things i think first of all that although it's devastating for people, both in terms of obviously the loss of life and the families, um, and also the way it has taken away our civil rights to some extent in terms of being able to just go out and walk about or whatever, um, that it is this time, it's a singular issue, and it will be resolved. And to me, in that situation, it will, the world will come back to some sort of normality really relatively quickly once it gets to a certain point now how long that is I have no idea uh, it's different to other crises we've had where there's been multiple reasons as to why the situation has arisen so I, I did never believe if we go back to what happened in Northern Ireland I did not never believe I would see peace or some semblance of peace but when I came it actually came really very quickly Now, there'd been a huge amount of work done behind the scenes, but it actually happened, and much to deny, I believe. So, I'm an optimist in these things. I think, in terms of things like discretionary spend by organizations, that pretty soon, if what we do is worthwhile, people come to realize that they need it. And actually, maybe if they don't, maybe we need to re-examine what we do and go, well, if it's part of discretionary spend, what's the point of doing it? So again, it's a, it's a point for me of, of examining what we do, the way we do it, the impact that it has, and the appetite that people will have for it. Um, I mean, I've been, been very interested to to just speak with my colleagues about how much the whole area of coaching and those other support services you know training and development all of those things have really just disappeared and they will stay disappeared for a while i suspect if we're worth what we think we're worth it will come back perf- perfectly okay in a relatively short time but let's wait and see
0: yeah no and that brings out thank you for that insight um it also brings out the, the topic of leadership mm-hmm. and I, i'm seeing too many uh, organizations where the there's a decision made to keep the lights on and stop the wheels falling off. We're gonna stop any discretionary spend on leadership development. It's yeah, just, yeah. we can't afford to do it. And that begs the question, is leadership not that important in the middle of a crisis or a global pandemic and the economic impact? Really, is that the thing you should be stopping? Leadership? Yeah. I don't know, what's your thoughts?
1: couple. Um, I think I'd say we're at the end of the era of, people are going away to be developed as leaders and to have things done to them. Uh, I'm a great supporter of MBAs, for example, I think they're a great education. Uh, But in a time of crisis, I don't think going to do your MBA is a particularly top priority. I do think we've got to find ways to bring support and reflection and learning to people in the middle of the crisis, and as they do what they do, so I, I noticed with interest the emergence of lots more um, podcasts, much more, um, you know, teaching using social media, uh, much more in the moment coaching. That's sort of, and I think that's the way we should go anyway, and this will maybe accelerate that too. Um, I mean, I've got a th- I've got this thing about um, you know, learning should be delivered on the job close to the job or off the job and it should be on the job if if at all possible it should be close to the job second and it should only be off the job if there's a really distinct reason to do that and yet i think we still do it the other way around so i think i i welcome that as a as a challenge to us as how we really do support people in leadership but you know that sense if we learn our leadership in the crucible so this is a great time to learn what sort of a leader you are, who you are as a leader and uh, and what you're really good at and how resilient you are and all of those things. So yeah. a little bit of reflection can probably move our learning as leaders a huge amount over this next period of time. If we just go blindly through it in the panic, we not learn very much, but if we can find that moment to be mindful, to be to, to pay attention on purpose to what we're doing, that, that might be the key to it.
0: I think that's very insightful. And the, the idea of the crucible I, uh, is a discussion point we talked about before mm. in, the, in, the, in the fire and the furnace of some of the toughest things. And mm. I think through our conversations, I've been quite a fan of the Stoic philosophy and read a lot around the topic, and particularly mm. in some of the toughest moments in my life, and there's a challenging time going on for me right now. I'm finding great solace, in Marcus Aurelius, Epictetus, Seneca, mm. and, and how the, you, the only thing you can control is your own actions and to a certain point, your own thoughts. So though your thoughts can run away with you, as you know, in social work and, and mental health issues. Mm. But, but to actually control the controllables rather than constantly checking social media and stressing about things you have no control over. Um, what you can do is yeah. you can stay at home, help the NHS, save lives, but, so that's an action can, but, but I can't control what's happening in London while I'm here in Lincolnshire or whatever it might be. So I think that was very helpful. But let's talk about your moments in The Crucible. And if you were to pick one moment that was really perhaps darkest part of your life, mm. uh, a really tough time, what was your, what was the situation and what was your learning from it? And how has that made you the fine leader you are today Who has that humility and courage to to be there for other people be the still pool for others
1: Um, quite a few years ago i was part of a a consultancy and um, because um, of a difference of opinion and an action of one of the partners that as far as i was concerned was completely unacceptable it it was one of those moments where you had to say, okay, this is a real point of truth. Um, and I mean, for all of us, our houses were on the line, the bank don't, you know, running a business, our bank owned, the bank owned our houses. And it, so this is a huge decision. And um, and I, with, with um, two of my colleagues, decided that this was a point of principle and a point of standing up for what is right not the consequences of doing that uh so we made a decision to um to finish the partnership to tear down the thing that was giving us our living and whatever else um and once we made the decision we didn't ever go back and reconsider the decision we just made it and said, that's the right thing to do. As with all good stories, the result of it was that within two years, we had uh, the new business we set up had been acquired by a PLC, which is always a nice thing to happen. And in a sense, the rest is history. But it was that, it was that moment of going, you need to stand up. You need to take the decision on what is right, not what is most comfortable. And then stick with it and the other thing I learned was that if you do that with other people and you know them you can trust them because they will come on that journey with you um, and those those two other people are still people that I probably are probably most in my career because we went through that together
0: mm, that's a very powerful story
1: mm. very, um, it, it is a very scare. it is it's that moment of going when you're really scared what have you got to hang on to? You've only got, to me, you've only got what is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Everything else you can't trust around it. So, mm-hmm. so you know that was my big learn.
0: Yeah, oh, fantastic. And I've seen you do that as well. You've been very principled, and I think principled centered leadership. Uh, and, and you know, you've read so widely and so deeply a whole range of leadership approaches. There's millions of books on leadership. Mm. But what what other lessons from your life stories have shaped the way you lead and the way you coach? For example, I was thinking of the time that I think you encouraged me to meet Nancy Klein. Yeah. I've been very impressed reading her book. And Lee and I have both been trained by Nancy. Nancy's become a great friend of yours and mine, Lee's, Uh, and has influenced my children. In fact, she spoke at Harriet's uh when she was head girl at her school the mount uh, nancy i invited nancy to come and speak at the mount. and she was of course a quaker my upbringing yeah and that was profound uh just hearing her speak so tell me a bit about those kind of things the two big influences in my
1: life from the let's think this through perspective are stephen covey who i worked with Um, in the early days of the Covey Leadership Centre and when the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People really just um, appeared in the world Um, and he was very influential to me uh, just in terms of how he said what he said so it was about the person and the message and I I still uh, hold that very dearly and the second person um, is Nancy and both of them for me when I read their stuff was like coming home Mm. I read it and went, I know this stuff. Um, but again, to be incredibly impressed by the eloquence with which it is expressed and um, you know, and put forward. I, I had the, the opportunity to, on a number of occasions, to be with Nancy as she's ad- addressed an audience and asking people afterwards what they felt. The message is the same as how did someone as, as tiny, and as mild in one sense, hold the attention of everybody in the palm of her hand for an eye. And it's quite simple because she has a message which is very pure. And she is the representative of her message. So there's complete sort of coherence between the two. Uh, I introduced her to a session one time with, which um, she laughed at, which was, I said, you know, I'm a great believer in simplify things down to, the, to their essence. And to me, that's what why I like Nancy's approach, particularly to coaching. It was like completely stripped down. Um, and, you know, like like Coco Chanel with her little black dress, it was take away all the embellishments and you end up with a true elegance. So I introduced Nancy and I said, so for me, I want to introduce Nancy Klein, who's, who to me is the Coco Chanel of coaching. Um, and I still hold to that. It's that wonderful sense of get rid of all the, fluff, get rid of all the nonsense and what is the absolute essence of something. And if you can capture that, um then you've probably got something which you can you can you know you can really use and build on. So so that's that's been a a consistent theme, I suppose, through my careers. How do you get through the complexity to the simple stuff beyond it? So there are some things that Jonathan I would say now I know for sure. Very few of them, but there are some things because they're just when you take everything else away, they just stand out as being really sort of clear as 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 you
0: know key things. No, uh, I, I often have had fascinating conversations with you about a whole range of leadership concepts and principles that can be applied and used frequently. Mm-hmm. And even just now, I went, I go for walking meetings with clients and potential clients, and this was a potential client um may not work together but i i use time to think you know what do you want to think Mm. about and what are your thoughts and i will be your thinking partner i will not interrupt until you say to me that's me i'm completely fun finished i have no more thoughts and then i'll ask a supplementary what more Mm. do you think or feel or want to say and it was incredibly powerful and then we use time to think dialogue what's your question ask me the question i'll play it back to you ask you to go first Mm. freshest thinking and then you give it back to me two minutes back and forth and and they're they're gems from Nancy and they still work so well. All the being a master certified coach for the ICF, that's great. And I, I've done all that. Yeah. I still come back to the little black dress and the Coco Chanel. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not about you or me, it's about the leader you're with. And do you know what he said at the end of it? He said, This was so good. <laughs> really good. I thought he yeah. spoke 90%, 95% of the time, I spoke five, yeah. because he said. I just have not had time in this coronavirus crisis. I've not had time to think I've just taken minutes here and there and just an idea down, yeah. and all these problems I've had It's like walking through the estate of my mind mm. and sorting things up and tidying the garden up and then And then, at the end of all my thinking, you've just a slight variation on the purest approach, but I've just shared some curiosities I had, some thoughts, some things that I, and he goes and you've understood it all, and it's just, that's the essence of it. And it's so great to see someone think for themselves. Yeah. Say a bit more, I've, I've enthused, but what's, what, what's excited you when you've really been there as a still big pool for people, and they've done some fabulous thinking and solved some really deep problems?
1: I, I, I love it when you can see the moment of breakthrough. And just to experience that is a, um, is a huge privilege when someone is really stuck and they maybe hope that you would give them advice, but advice doesn't come because it's not what they're going to be able to use. And just through the, po- the power of thinking well, suddenly a breakthrough comes and they go, that's what it is. That's, that's the moment I suspect my career is probably built around in terms of satisfaction. It's that moment, you know, when, when, uh, when, when that happens yeah. and it doesn't always happen, no. um, but when it does, um, there's, n- there's nothing better than to be there at that moment.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I so get what you're saying. And mm-hmm. it, it's, you know, why we were put on the planet. I feel in many ways, um, you know, my, uh, you, you probably know my story, story of my, my father and that he was killed. But I've mm-hmm. learned so much about how to be as a leader from the men I met who'd served with him in the Navy and flown with him. And the guy whose life he saved, and his co-pilot who he saved. And, and they said, you have a choice. You can be a victim, poor me. Yeah, your mom was widowed at 35, three boys under nine. Uh, and everything in your life went wrong because you never had a dad. Too young to remember him, or your father could be your inspiration—why you do what you do—and you could find yeah. inspiration from the best leaders you meet and pass it on. Teach techniques, pass it on, and 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 that's why I feel always so comfortable with you because we've always, I hope, I've felt this has been the deal. We've been very abundant with each other. We've shared ideas or new concepts, or we've, we've we're early learners, the pair of us, <laughs> and we willingly just like here, it's, it's abundant. There's loads more. They gave it me. I'll give it to you. And, and you, you've been someone who's been very abundant in the way you've helped me. I just want to acknowledge that publicly now um, and the inspiration you've given me. And I feel quite choked up, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, before I get too emotional, let's uh, have a final top tip from Oliver Johnson, the uh, speaker, the facilitator, the coach and the teacher. So give us a, a final top tip on practical, inspiring leadership.
1: I, th- I think for me, it is that there is no one way to be a leader, that there is no, there really is no formula. There is the opportunity to go, I will be a student of this for life. I will pay attention to what I do. I will watch what other people do. I will read if reading is something I, um, I benefit from. I will study if that's something. But in the end of the day, it's my unique journey. To be the best leader I can be, um, and I think once we get away from looking for the looking for the recipe and go on, actually I've got to create the recipe uh, then we're probably in 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 the safest place to become to, to become the leader that um, <laughs> to go back to the, the my, my uh, um, I know to become the leader that we were born to be but just not to assume that we're it already. We actually have to learn to be the leader we were born to be.
0: Yeah, that's, that's great. Oliver, a real joy being with you. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your insights and your marvellous stories and your humour. I need to have more humour uh, <laughs> in the other people who speak like you. Thank you. You uh, are a gem. So uh, I'll say goodbye to you at this stage and uh, we'll carry on chatting after this. Interview. Thanks, Oliver. Great, Oliver. Thank you.